if you didn't already know, my name's Atlanta, also known as Mum, and this is my podcast. I'm here to give you an insight into life as a mum of two. I'll be sharing all my tips, tricks and advice on how to survive motherhood, as well as bringing all the laughs and giggles with stories of my parenting fails. From Mum to Mum. Hi, I hope everyone is well. To my regular listeners, hi and all that jazz. Thank you for choosing me yet again. And if you're a new listener here, welcome. Um, I hope you enjoy it. I hope it's everything you want and more. Um, And yeah, can I just say, I'm not sure if anyone has noticed this, but can you believe how consistent I've been? Like the level of consistency that has come from little old me is insane, like an absolute miracle. I put out a podcast last week and this week. This is the first time in a while there hasn't been a gap. Um, and I know I promise you podcasts every week, but sometimes, as I keep saying, it's not an excuse. Life just gets in the way. You know, do you know if somebody maybe wanted to like buy me an office or, you know, something somewhere where I can get away from my kids, you'd have, po- you could have a podcast every day if you want it. Maybe not every day, but more than once a week. But it's just so hard. Like, yeah, it's just so hard and I'll just be upstairs recording and the kids are downstairs like, Wah! and then it's just, oh, not downstairs by yourself, by the way, before anyone calls, like Childline or whatever. That was probably the wrong thing to say. Social services. Before anyone calls social services, they're not looking after themselves. But yeah, like it, it's just, it's really difficult. Anyway, I won't go on about that because I've said this a million times and you're probably thinking, yeah, whatever, Lant. Um... What I will say is, today's podcast is a little bit different from the usual stuff we've been covering. So, um, it's been very much child-related. It's it's been very much based around the children. And although this is a podcast for mums, um, predominantly, it's also for women and fathers and other parents... Um, and I decided when I created the brand from mum to mum, it wasn't just going to be about being a mum to your children. It's going to be about everything that a mum needs to know. So as we know, as mums, you've got a million and one jobs to do. So my podcast will cover, yeah, it will cover, you know, behaviours and things like that in children. Um, but it's also going to cover things like quick simple family friendly recipes because as mums we've got to make the dinner it's going to cover women's health it's going to cover such a wide variety of things that we as mums need to know so for the next few weeks we're going to be talking about women's health and I think it's very important as mums because I'm not sure if you agree with this but I think a lot of people will find that before you're a mum if you have some sort of illness or some sort of symptoms of something, you would go to the GP and get it checked out straight away. Whereas when you're a mum, it kind of just gets put on the back burner and you have to sort of just deal with everyday life and look after your children. You sort of just don't put yourself first anymore. And it's obviously very important. Um, so yeah, for the next few weeks, we'll be talking about women's health. So today we've got a guest. Um, it's my first ever guest on the show. And that is my sister, Taylor. So Taylor suffers with endometriosis and before that I'd never heard of it. So um, when she got diagnosed, when I first heard of it, and then since then I've sort of realised how common it has become. Um, So yeah, 
she's our guest today and she's just going to tell us a little bit more about it and sort of the symptoms, how common it is, what sort of treatment is involved um, and just like generally raising awareness. So hi Tay. Hi Lam. <laughs> um, okay so let's just get started. So what is like in your words, what because obviously we can all google what is it but to you what is yeah. endometriosis? Um, it's basically when you have, when every month you have your period and you have the lining of your womb thickens, it's tissue very similar to the lining of your womb, but it grows in other places in your body and in your pelvis. Okay. Um, so it causes pain because when you have your periods every month, whereas the lining of your womb will shed and obviously it'll be released through bleeding, the endometriosis tissue doesn't have anywhere to go, so it becomes trapped. And then obviously it causes pain and all the other symptoms that you go with it. Do you know what? No joke. I probably should have done a little bit of research before this, but I haven't. So that's actually like like genuinely news to me. I had no idea actually what it is. It was actually quite interesting for me as well. Um, yeah. Okay, so how like how has it been for you? How did you find out you had, like how did you get to your diagnosis? What sort of like the journey? Um. So I always had, terrible periods and painful periods um I started my period really young I was nine um and it's actually being said that early puberty in girls can be one of the signs of developing endometriosis but obviously at the age of nine years old that's not something you think of Mm. um so yeah for years I was just back and forth to doctors and always told it's just heavy periods it's just bad periods and hot water bottles paracetamol um, and then I think it was in 2015, um, I was getting really bad stomach pains um, and I was taken into hospital and they found that I had a cyst on my ovary that had ruptured. Um, so I had to have emergency surgery for that and that's when they found then that I had endometriosis. So with the surgery, what, like, what happens? Do they just like sort of go in and remove the cyst or...? Yeah, so they go in is um, a laparoscopy. So they go in, like make three small incisions in your stomach and they put feed the little camera through. Um, endometriosis, there's no, is not, it can't be diagnosed through scans. It's very, sometimes scans don't even pick it up. So you go to the hospital, be referred for scans and they might say, no, everything's clear, but you could have a stomach full of endometriosis tissue. Um, so the only like guaranteed diagnosis is through that surgery anyway with the camera. Um, so yeah they go in remove the cyst they remove tissue um, it can cause your organs to stick together so they have to sometimes separate your organs um, remove any scar tissues Um, yeah so they I think they like cut it away and use like lasers as well to burn it and then do they like do they tell you at the time like is this if it's going to come back or do they not know or how does that work? They don't know. There's always, there's no cure for endometriosis. So okay. it's quite difficult because like I've had four surgeries now in the last, what, in the space of four years. Um, some people might have one surgery and they'll never come back again. But I've just been a bit unlucky. But it, it tends to be the more surgeries you have, the more painful it gets because you start to, when you, the tissue is shared in every month, where you've got scar tissue, um, and adhesions and size from previous surgeries you bleed from the scar tissue which can mm. cause even more pain so they say the only kind of cure but it's not a definite cure is 
a full hysterectomy, but then there's still a chance that the endometriosis could still come back after that. There's obviously a much lower chance. So say, you know, because you said it gets more painful as like death through surgery. So say, for example, if you chose not to have a hysterectomy, is there like a limit to how many times you can have surgery to have removed or can it or? No, I don't, I don't, as far as I'm aware, there's no limit. Okay. Some people never need surgery. They may may have really bad symptoms for a few years and then the symptoms literally may may just disappear and all of a sudden it's gone. It's just they don't know what causes it. There's no cure for it. Um, It's just one of those things. Like, it's like you said, even before I got diagnosed with it, I didn't have a clue what it was. Yeah. And I think even now a lot of people don't know what it is yeah it's crazy really I think because now I know what it is well kind of know what it is when I see people talking about it I obviously recognize it and think oh they've got endometriosis whereas if I'd never heard of it before and I saw that somebody had it it probably would just kind of go straight over my head I suppose because I would just be thinking like what's that sort of thing so um what like what symptoms how what made you keep going back to the doctors? Like, why did you not just accept that it wasn't just a painful period? Like, what were your symptoms and what was sort of so bad about it? You just get just terrible pain. The only way I could describe it is, like, when I have a flare-up, it's literally like fireworks going off in your stomach. It's just the worst pain ever. Nothing seems to take the pain away. So you can get pain in your stomach, your back. I get pain at the top of my thighs and a lot of pressure like in my private areas, um, you can get um, pain during and after sex, um, especially around your time of the month, painful when you're trying to go wee or when you're trying to go poo, um, difficulty getting pregnant. And the main thing for me was heavy periods. And I, like I said, I was just told there's heavy periods, there's heavy periods, but I knew something wasn't right. Like I have mm-hmm. a period and I'd have to wear a tampon and three sandwich towels at the same time and sometimes would still bleed through my clothes. Mm. Yeah, that's a lot, isn't it? Yeah. I think this is probably quite hard as well because obviously us being just, you know, not health professionals, go into a GP and see like a qualified medical professional you would expect them to know. So I suppose there's probably a lot of people out there when they're being told it's heavy periods, they would accept it's heavy periods because I think to a certain extent, you think like, who am I to question the doctor? Like, what do I know? Surely they know more than me. Um, So I think that's quite difficult because I've seen a lot of that people getting sort of like misdiagnosed and the people that have got a diagnosis are just saying like, make sure you push for answers. But sometimes... I don't know. I don't know if I feel like I was just being a bit of a pain in the ass. I think a little bit. Yeah, um, yeah you do. And it's like being proven. It, I think the statistics now are that it takes on average eight years to get a diagnosis. Wow. Like endometriosis. So it's just constant back and forth battling with the doctor and telling them, mm. you know, your body and something's not right. And them just saying, no, it's, it's just normal. It's just a heavy period. Yeah, eight Goodness years for somebody, especially say for it started in somebody's teenagers, and whilst they're going through high school and they've got important things going on in their life, eight years is a, a long time to yeah. wait for that amount of pain. That's awful. So, um, what other than the force? So, you've had four surgeries. Do you say four? Sorry, yeah, you've had four surgeries up to date. So, what 
comes next for you? Are you going to just sort of hope for the best? Are you going to like wait it out? Are you going to keep having surgeries? Like what, what is next? Um, so yeah, I've had the four surgeries. Um, my first one was in 2015 and then my last one was 2019. Um, in 2016 as well, I got put onto prostap injections. What's that? Um, so is is a type it's like a type of chemotherapy they give it to men who have got prostate cancer okay um but it's a mentally injection and basically it puts you into an artificial menopause so like kind of forces you into a menopause in the hope that once your ovaries stop working the endometriosis pain will get a lot better um, and the symptoms be a lot easier to deal with um but yeah when i was first born i think i was quite young and they didn't really give me and well they didn't give me any information about it. I can remember going home and mum saying oh what they probably wanted me saying pro-staff and them saying oh well they meant to offer you counselling alongside that and I hadn't even had as much as a, of an information leaflet mm. um, and I just I found it very difficult to deal with the side effects of the pro-staff so you have like you're being put into a menopause you have the hot flushes the mood swings um, your hormones are all over the place so one minute you're crying and then you're angry and it was just very difficult. So I think I stayed on that for around seven months. Um, and then I came off that then. Um, yeah, I had a surgery then in 2019 in the November. Um, and then I caught pregnant with Esme then in the December. And when you're pregnant, you're, because you haven't got, you're not having a menstrual cycle every month. And that's when the pain tends to get a lot worse. Whilst you're pregnant, you tend to not have any symptoms at all. Okay. You nine you're kind of pain free and then yeah after I had Esme it all came flooding back then is it like um, pretty much straight away like as soon as you have that first period yeah mine was yeah within about four weeks of having her I was starting <laughs> to get the pains and the symptoms again um so I was referred back to them um I've been put back on the pro staff now um and I'm waiting now in the next month or two I should be having a full hysterectomy so hopefully, fingers crossed. How, more how, if you don't mind me asking, by the way, how do you feel about that at the age of, well, you'll probably be 30 at the time. Well, maybe not, actually. You might still yes. be 29, right? Yeah. How do you feel about that? Like, it's, I think it's, obviously, I can't say how you feel, but it seems like it's a bit of a, a bittersweet thing because it's like, yeah, yeah, you'll be out of pain, but it's a big decision, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it was something I kind of went back and forth on for ages because, like, it's, it's not just the, like, it's dealing with the endometriosis, but then when you've already, got, when you've got children as well, like, there's been times that the pain is so bad and they prescribed me strong painkillers for at home. So I was on tramadol and cocosamol and I was on Oromorph, which is like a liquid form of morphine. And the pain just still was horrendous. So there's been so many times I've had to go into hospital for pain management and I ended up staying there for a week. And mm. it got to the point where I just thought it's just not fair on the kids when I'm in hospital, Theo's crying and scroll because he's worried. And Oh, bless him. It was just a lot. Um, but yeah, I think when they said the only option kind of now is to either deal with the pain and keep having the the medication and the pain relief or have a full hysterectomy I just I didn't know what to do and even now if I'm honest I'm probably not a hundred percent 
I, I know I want to have the hysterectomy, I'm going to have it, but in the back of my mind, it's still obsessing knowing that if in the future I did decide, oh, I'd like another child, I haven't got that option anymore yeah. to make, make, that decision, make that decision myself. Um, and it was difficult because my partner, I know he would like another one, but it was kind of making that decision of, well, do what I need to put my health first but then I felt as though I'm taking the opportunity for him to have another child away from him yeah um, yeah after a lot of discussions I think we we decided that this is definitely the right thing uh well for me but for, for all of us as a family yeah I think it, it's one of those things in it neither option is great but you have to choose the best that the best out of the two yeah. which is a bit of a poo I was going to swear then a bit of rubbish situation to be put in especially so young because like you said if you did want to have more children their choices even though you're choosing to have the hysterectomy you don't really have much of a choice so the choice is still very much taken away from you I would say yeah we're very lucky that well between the two of us we've got four healthy and beautiful children but it's and I'm not even definite, like definitely sure that I'd even like another one in the future, but it's just thought of not having that choice. Yeah. It's it's just nice to have the option to do what you want to do when you want to do it. And yeah. Now your future is sort of decided for you before you even get there. Yeah. Okay, so you mentioned how it's affected your life with regards to like um your children, like being in hospital, not being well enough to look after your children but what about when it comes to like work or friendships or or some Um, how does it affect your life in other aspects uh yeah so I think it's affected my life in a lot of ways like socially um definitely work-wise I think a lot of where a lot of people don't know about it a lot of employers haven't got a clue about and I do think it's something that a lot more awareness needs to be raised and I think they need to be clued up on these type of things because it's not rare, it affects one in 10 women. Um, and when you're going to an employer and saying, oh, I'm off and I'm, I'm not going to be in today and you end up having a few weeks off because you've got a flare they don't actually... You're not, I feel like you're not really taken serious because yeah. they don't know what they kind of think oh you you've just got a bad period or you've just got a bit of a bad stomach when mm. it's not I would be in bed and I wouldn't be able to move and my stomach would be so bloated I'd look like I was pregnant and I would just be in agony or I'd be too afraid to leave the house because I'd be bleeding so heavily that I was worried that if I went into work I was going to come through everything and yeah I think it's affected with work like I was pulled in for disciplinaries quite a bit in one of my old jobs because I was having so much time off and at the time I had a catheter fitted as well and even then from to see that it was a lot more serious that I was going to work with a bag on my leg and it still wasn't taken seriously yeah do you know it's not it's not the same I'm not trying to like downplay endometriosis but I feel like I can relate a little bit because when with Elijah when I had hyperemesis because my boss didn't know what it was I shit you not he just thought I had a little bit of morning sickness and I just wasn't coming to work and then after I had Elijah and I lost like three and a half stone I um I remember like writing something it was like a proper little dig saying something about something to my employer like so I know you didn't believe me all along 
like this is the proof sort of thing but I know it's not the same because obviously endometriosis is a lot more severe than hyperemesis but you know same sort of thing where because they don't know what it is they just assume it's just nothing the thing is it takes two minutes for them to just google something and educate yourself like if you don't know what it is find out what it is and then maybe maybe they'd be a bit a bit more understanding yeah well i just took so long to get any sort of understanding either like i've had catheters fitted so many times because with my endometriosis it grows it grows in loads of different places, but the main places is growing, and it always seems to come back on is my bladder and my bowel. Mm-hmm. So, bit of too much information, but I'll literally go to a toilet every two weeks. Like I won't be able to physically go to the toilet, and then with like urinating, it, there'd be times like one minute I'd be fine. <laughs> sorry, sorry, can I just say, you do not say urinating. When I'm having a pee, and <laughs> um, yeah, you go in. <laughs> what's called urinary retention so you would feel as though you need to go and your wee is right there at the tip but no matter what you do it just won't come out and it's something to do with your brain not sending signals to your bladder to sorry i'm it. Stop laughing at urinating i'm so sorry <laughs> so like yeah well when i first met jordan and i went on my first date i had a bag on my leg oh did so, you yeah did you tell him yeah i had to I, you could see it through my jeans when i was oh. doing that <laughs> But yeah, it just took a long time to get understanding. And even then, the only bit of extra understanding I got is they get, give me a bit more time for my break time. So I had more time to empty my bag. It was just, I, I do think the employers especially need to, not even just with endometriosis, with anything, they need to make sure that these things that do affect people, and it is affecting a lot of people, they know about it because is is such a horrible feeling feeling as though they just think you're lying and you're just looking for a yeah. day off and spend a day in bed when really you want to be in work you're not getting paid if you're in bed but you have no choice but to stay at home because you you can't function you can't get on with your normal daily routines i think employers are a little bit shit anyway when it comes to people having time off like i always feel like not that i've got a job but when i did have a job I always feel like I would be petrified to phone in sick, even when I'm like genuinely ill, not just pulling the sickie, like genuinely unwell. And I'd be so scared. Like, I don't know what I thought they were going to do, but no matter what it is, they always make you feel like you're lying, even if sometimes you are lying. They almost... When I've had to ring in sick and I've rang you, like, I don't know what to say. And you're like, just the truth. And I'll be saying, no, I can't. Oh, no, I can't. I can't. And it's scary, isn't it? Like, hey, come on, just do it. <laughs> but it is. You shouldn't have to feel as though you don't want to tell someone that you can't earn money today to pay your bills because you're not well. Exactly, yeah. It's not doing you any favours, is it? By phoning and saying. Um, okay, so... So you mentioned that, um, I think you said one in 10 women suffer with endometriosis. That's quite a lot. I'm quite surprised. I'm, I'm surprised and I'm not. I think now I realise it's a lot more common than I thought it was. But initially I did not have any idea it was. Like when when you said or when I found out that you had endometriosis, I thought it was like this rare, because I've never heard of it. I thought it was like this, I don't know, like this rare disorder or whatever you would call it um 
so yeah that's very interesting one in ten women that's 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 quite a lot and I suppose go on sorry it's one in ten and that's just in the UK I think there's something like there's ten percent of women worldwide have got endometriosis there's like 176 million women worldwide have endometriosis so like it's not real like a lot of people have it Hmm. and it's just shocking that nobody knows about because it's like I don't understand why it's not talked about it's like become one of those taboo things that nobody talks about but like it's serious it needs to be talked about it can stop women from having children it can make you infertile it's not something that is just to be ignored do you think maybe to a certain extent it's like um almost kind of like maybe people think it's quite embarrassing because you don't really tend to just talk about your periods with the world or you know your toilet habits how often you go for a wee or a poo or the fact you've got a cavity so do you so do you think maybe that's why people don't know so much about it because maybe maybe people feel ashamed or yeah, and I think if people do feel ashamed to talk about it, I don't think it's more because it's about, like, periods and stuff. I think it's because they maybe don't want to speak out about it because everybody, not everybody, but people sometimes downplay it and have said mm-hmm. it's just about periods. So they feel as though maybe they're not taken seriously. when like They'll just look a bit like a drama queen. Yeah, and it's not just something that you deal with once a month, like your normal periods. Like I have pain when I'm I'm not on my period. I haven't had a period now for months where I've been on the pro stuff and where it's put me into the menopause, but I'm still getting the pain. So even when you're not having those, it's not just a monthly thing. It's, it's something that people have to deal with like every day of their lives in some way, whether it's the pain, whether it's your mood, whether you're feeling sick, whether you're constantly tired. Like it's, you're bleeding so much that it causes you to have low iron and then you become anemic. It's just, there's so many more things that it can cause that can get a lot more serious. Hmm. They just so, they definitely need more research and more funding into raising more awareness and finding better treatments. And Yeah, 100%. There's, I, think... I just think there's got to be something to the treatments you have now is just kind of either mask the pain or other treatments that like it's either putting you into a menopause or giving you a hysterectomy which are just things that are going to stop you having children and it's still not it's still not even guaranteed that it's going to work mm. like I've said so many times when when they said about doing the hysterectomy at first they wanted to remove my uterus but they wanted to leave my ovaries and my, no, just my ovaries, sorry. They wanted to, yeah, remove my womb and leave my ovaries because of my age and because I'm young. If they remove my ovaries, there's more chance of me um, having osteoporosis, so like problems with my bones um, and problems with my heart. Okay. But my point was is that I'm willing to not have any more children to not have the pain anymore but I'm not willing to have the operation and still have the pain. And all I've done at the end of it is stop myself having children. Exactly. Yeah. You're just going through all that for pretty much nothing other than something that's. That yeah. You and it may be 
that there's nothing else out there. There may be that there isn't a cure, but I just don't, I think that not enough funding and research whatsoever goes into finding that. Yeah, finding out for definite if there's not a cure. So what what would you say then? What would be the main um the main things to look out for, like symptom wise? Um like what would you say is sort of like a cause for concern? So heavy periods, um really bad like period pains that like stop you doing your normal activities. Um if you get any pain during or after sex, obviously you should always go and get that checked anyway because that can be signs of things that are a lot more serious. Um, like I said, pain when you're peeing or pooing, especially around your period, um, feeling sick, constipation or diarrhea, um, if you're finding it difficult to get pregnant. The, they can all be symptoms of endo- eat things like bloating. A lot of the time when you've got endometriosis, you get really, like your stomach will go really bloated. Um, yeah, if, if you're getting any of those symptoms and you're going to the GP and they're saying it's just bad periods, just bad periods, honestly, keep pushing and just push for those tests. Because, like I said, it, it's roughly around eight years it takes to get a diagnosis and you shouldn't have to sit there and suffer for eight years when there's things out there that could be helping you deal deal with that pain and trying to yeah. make as life as possible. Do you know what? I've actually found this really, really like informative. I there's so much, even you know though I, have the, I don't really talk about it like in depth. Yeah, so it's kind of like even though it's in your head and you know it, it's when you yeah. say it out loud, you sort of like absorb the information differently, don't you? um yeah. yeah I feel like even though I'm your sister and like I've seen you go through all these things I don't really we've never sat and had a conversation about it no like it's just one of those things that happens one of those things that you go through we never really talk about the ins and outs of it um so yeah it's been it's been very informative and I just hope that there's somebody out there that sort of listens to it and it just makes things make sense in the head like they might be having like symptoms and whatever and not really putting two and two together and just sort of brushing it off as just a heavy period or just something um and obviously it's I don't want to worry anyone it still could be just a heavy period but at least people will maybe um like go and get checked and it's better obviously to be safe than sorry yeah and I think it gives people just a bit of knowledge on as well so if they're going to the doctors and the doctor's saying well no it's just this they like if you're getting those symptoms read up on it read up on endometriosis i think because if you can go in there and you can show that you know your shit oh sorry you, you it's know, okay you're allowed to say sorry you know like what you're on about they're less likely to fob you off yeah like, definitely nothing you're not even thinking of endometriosis that it could be that because you probably don't even know what it is but mm. yeah just stand around you know your body more than anybody and hopefully there's an employer <laughs> there's an employer listening to it who is going to decide to take it more seriously and do a little bit of research so if one of your employees comes to you and says they've got endometriosis don't just fob them off and give them disciplinaries like take them serious that was a bit rude but oh well no I agree with that anyway I think that I've always thought this I think employers need to be more sensitive around people having time off yeah definitely 
like some people are, have really bad periods and it's not something they choose to go through every month. Mm. I think they need to be more support. One million percent. So um, obviously I know you're busy with like the kids and stuff, but what what are we going to do? Like, because there might be people listening to this who have got like some sort of question. I don't just want to now point them in the direction to Google. So um, you don't have to decide now, but I don't know if you want to like, if you want people to like DM me and I'll let you know. I don't know if you want to do like a, you know, people can put their questions in like a question box on Instagram. We could do like an Instagram live. I could just give them your Instagram, like whatever you want to do. You don't have to decide right now. Um, we can but... do maybe like a Q&A. Okay, cool. So if there is anyone that has questions, I'll do some sort of story or post about it and let you know when we're going to do the Q&A so you can get like all your questions and stuff ready. And then, yeah, I'm saying we, I, well, I, I don't have any answers for you, I'm not going to lie, but I'll, I'll just be the entertainer or I'll, I'll, I'm the host. There we go, I'm the host. Um, yeah, thanks for being my first guest. It's actually been lush. Thanks for having actually, me. Do you know what? It's been nice having someone to talk to because sometimes, obviously, when people are listening to the podcast, then I, I'm talking to someone at the time. But when I'm recording it, I'm just sat in my bedroom talking to myself. Yeah. So it's, it's just been like we're having a chat. Like we're on, well, I was going to say like we're on FaceTime, but we have to turn the cameras off. <laughs> we knew we'd laugh at each other. <laughs> Wait, they might there's probably a couple of people who remember do you remember when I did the Instagram live and you you said something in the comments and I laughed for ages oh it was your sound of the buggy boards or the prom going down, <laughs> going the, down the step <laughs> yeah that's very much what we're like very um very childish and it's like one of those things once you start laughing you can't stop maybe if we do one in the future maybe we'll have our cameras on and yeah, we'll be maybe. maybe we can be more mature <laughs> who knows oh. But yeah, thanks for um, thanks for being my first guest. It's been lush, and all the information has been fab, and it's probably really going to help someone. I hope so. So I will, as always, guys. I will leave the links to anything you need to see, so like the blogs, the Instagram, um, and yeah, thank you for listening. Bye. Um, just quickly, I forgot to say, keep your eyes and ears peeled. We don't peel your ears. Keep your eyes peeled and your ears open um, because next week I will have another guest, hopefully, fingers crossed, um, and we will be discussing another area of women's health. Um, if I don't have a guest, it is simply because the guest wishes to re- remain anonymous. So either I will have a guest who will be telling their story or I will be telling somebody's story on their behalf. Either way, um, it's going to be something very interesting, very relatable, and something that we need to raise awareness about. Um, so yeah, as always, you can find me on Instagram at from mum to mum underscore, and you can find my blog, which hasn't actually been updated for a little while, but there's going to be a lot of interesting content coming soon. So that will be www.frommumtomumblog.wordpress.com. Peace out. Hey.